0: I used to visit a man in an assisted living center who had a little plaque on a table in his apartment that read, I'm not deaf, I'm just ignoring you, which I thought was kind of funny. He turned out to be quite a character, and as I got to know him better, I began to suspect that there might be a little bit of truth to that for him, you know? For example, I noticed that he seemed to have no problem whatsoever hearing the Cowboys game on television or his neighbor call him to dinner. But when the lady who lived next door came over and wanted to talk about politics, suddenly he couldn't understand a word that she was saying. Then another time I was there when a nurse came to see him and I watched her give him this very gentle lecture. I mean, friends, very gentle about eating fewer butterscotch candies and more fruit. And during this lecture, he just sort of sat there, zoned out, and looked beyond her. And uh, then, when she was through talking, he reached into his candy dish and pulled out another butterscotch. And she laughed and said, Mr. Howard, I'm beginning to think you only hear what you want to hear. And he kept a perfectly straight face until she left the room, and then he winked at me. Friends, our text this morning is a familiar story from the Gospel of Mark, a miracle story that has to do with hearing or the lack of it. And uh, as you know, it's about Jesus healing a man of deafness. And like many of the miracle stories, it operates on multiple levels. On one level, it is a story about physical healing. Jesus heals this man who is brought to him who is deaf and also who cannot speak. But on a deeper level, This story is a parable about all of us, about our coming to faith and what that means, and about our need to be healed of our own spiritual and relational deafness. Now, on its surface, it's a very simple story, right? Some people bring this man to Jesus who is deaf and also who cannot speak, and they ask that Jesus heal him. So Jesus pulls the man aside and lays hands on him, then puts his fingers in the man's ears, looks up to heaven, and says, epitha, which means be opened. Now, isn't that interesting that Jesus would choose that phrase, be opened? I mean, he could have said, be healed, or you can hear, or be cured. But he says, be opened, epitha. Why? How would he choose that phrase? Well, again, friends, I think because on this deeper level, this is a story about spiritual healing, about our need to be healed of spiritual and relational deafness because Jesus understands it is our propensity to be closed to God and one another. And when we close ourselves off, you see, we suffer. Our relationships Suffer our relationship with God suffers. So I think this is why so many times in the Gospels, Jesus introduces parables with the word, listen. And he ends them with the phrase, let the one who has ears hear. Jesus understands our propensity to be closed and what that does to us. And friends, I don't think I need to spend a lot of time this morning convincing you that being selectively deaf with the people in our lives causes harm. It damages our relationships, right? Over the years, I've had so many couples in my office who have said, I tried so hard, so many times to tell her, to tell him that something was wrong in the relationship, that I was very unhappy, that we needed to work on it, but they just didn't seem to hear me. And conversely, I've heard so many people say, I tried so hard, so many times, to tell her, to tell him how much I loved them. But for some reason, it never seemed to make it through. They just never seemed to hear it. And, of course, this happens with parent-child relationships as well. I once had a mother tell me that, for many years, her teenage son was in terrible mental and emotional pain. Tremendous, tremendous pain. And on multiple occasions, he tried to tell her about his pain, how he was feeling, and he tried to tell her in a multitude of ways, including engaging in self-harm. But she just couldn't hear him. She said it was just too upsetting. And it upended her, her idealized view of him as a perfect child, living a perfect suburban life. And so she closed her ears. She walled off and the results for her child were dire. He suffered such a long time without the help he needed as a result. no friends, I don't think I need to convince you that being closed off, selectively deaf with the people we share life with is harmful. The bigger question, the one we really need to address is why do we do this, right? Why do we do this? How how does that work for us on some level to wall ourselves off from the people that we love? I mean, we can sit in a room with someone we purport to love and that person can talk and talk and talk and talk and somehow we cannot hear them. Why does that happen? Why do we do that? Well, friends, I think... It's because of fear. I think we're afraid of what we might hear if we opened ourselves up. I mean, we might hear something that's upsetting to us, that hurts us, that challenges us, that disappoints us, that confronts us with something that we didn't really want to know. So better off, we think, to just wall off from them. Adopt that selective deafness, (coughs) but the price we pay for this is tremendous because, friends, we cannot be in real relationship with other human beings if we can't hear them. Walling people off, practicing that selective deafness prevents us from whole relationship with other people in our lives. And Jesus, who understands us and loves us more than anyone, I think is heartsick about that. And so he calls us again and again and again to allow his love to open us so that our fear can be cast aside. For that perfect love casts out fear, does it not? And then we're free, open, open to truly love and be loved. And while we're at it, friends, let's just be frank and own it that uh, we often close ourselves off to God, too. We operate with that selective deafness even with our Creator. Oh, we know what we believe, right? We know what we know. All of us operate within a theological framework that we create throughout the course of our lives, and for all of us, it becomes crystallized, but sometimes it moves beyond that to cement. And we really don't believe we can learn anything new or hear anything new about God or from God. Even though our redeemer lives and speaks today, somehow we can convince ourselves that we know all we need to know. We've heard all we need to hear, and that's enough. Think of the growth that we sacrifice as a result. My second year of seminary, I was in a class called systematic theology, which is a difficult class. At Perkins at SMU, where I attended seminary, it was required for all upper-level MDiv students and for anyone who was seeking ordination in the United Methodist Church. Students talked often about how difficult the class was. It was a whole year. And in the course of the class, what you were asked to do was break down that theological framework that you brought into seminary with you, strip your theology down to the studs, so to speak, and then thoughtfully and prayerfully, carefully rebuild your theology over the course of the year, the point being that you would come out of that class knowing the basics of what you believed and moreover, why you believe those things and how they fit together. But as I said, it was hard academic work, hard spiritual work, and as it turned out, not for everybody. In that class, I sat behind a young man Boy, he knew what he knew. He was one of the youngest in our class, but he came in lecturing all the other students about the basics, you know. He had had it all down. Well, one day, we had a guest lecturer who began a lesson on a very difficult passage of Scripture, one that's hard to understand as he began to, to parse it out and talk about the different ways that that scripture could be interpreted, I could tell that this young man in front of me was becoming more and more and more agitated. You could see it in his body. It shifted around in his seat. You could just almost see the anxiety reverberating off of him. And then about 10 minutes into the lecture, this young man abruptly stood up and made a very public show of slamming his notebook shut and throwing it into his backpack and slamming his chair against the desk and stomping out of the lecture hall and slamming the door behind him and every head turned. I heard later that he dropped out of school. I never saw him again. He told friends that he decided the whole process just wasn't for him. He knew what he knew. He was not open to learning anything new about God or hearing anything new from God. And then there was the man in a former church of mine who read books in worship on Sunday morning, brought a book with him every single week. He was a good and kind man, he really was. He said he was there uh, really just because his wife wanted him to be. His wife was a very devout Christian woman, and he loved and honored her, and she wanted him to be present, so he came, and he brought his book. He had had some really difficult experiences in church growing up, experiences that scarred him. He went to a little church where there was an awful lot of yelling and threatening and fist shaking and moral judgments and talk about hell that came out of the pulpit and it frightened him as a child. He formed an image of God as a divine policeman and he was scared. And then the straw that broke the camel's back was when he was in high school, his mother got up the courage to divorce his alcoholic, physically abusive father And that little church ejected them from the congregation over the divorce. And they lost their church family and the support of other Christian people. That was it for him. Oh, he would come and sit next to his wife, but he wasn't gonna listen to any of it. No, he had his book. Now friends, when I tell you he read a book in worship, I don't mean in his lap. I mean up like this, (laughs) like a shield. To keep everything away. And he read not just during the sermon, but during the entire service, including during the greeting time. Now, we call that passing of the peace here. We called it the greeting time there. He called it forced friendliness. (laughs) He did not like forced friendliness, so he read during (laughs) forced friendliness. Read the whole time. Now, I'm going to say something that I hope doesn't shock any of you. But you guys know that I can see you out there, right? (laughs) We can all, I can see you guys too. We can see you. We notice you. That means that, you know, I, I noticed the woman on All Saints Sunday who cried through the whole service. And I noticed the teenage boy on Christmas Eve who had his arms crossed like this and the most terrible look on his face to make sure everyone around him knew he had been dragged here against his will. And if you are sleeping, guess what? We notice. We clergy notice. We're not judging. We just notice. So, of course, we noticed this man reading the book in the pew every week. And we wanted to get to know him so we made that our business and as we did, we we found that he was a good and kind man. I genuinely liked him very much. But we also came to learn that he, he held that book up so high because he was afraid to be open. He was so afraid to hear. He was afraid that if He let a single word come over the top of that book. It would confirm everything that he had come to believe in his childhood about God. That God is a divine policeman who judged him all the time, condemned his mother, who he loved dearly. He just didn't want to hear that. Better than he thought to finish Tom Clancy on Sunday morning and then go to lunch. But you know, the whole time I knew him, I prayed all the time that one Sunday I would come into worship and he would pull that book down just a little bit. Just enough for the gospel to come over the top and go into his heart. Just enough for Jesus' love to open him and cast out his fear so that he could discover a God of infinite love who didn't offer condemnation to him and his mother, but instead, incredible grace. Friends, I'm not gonna pretend that this whole being open thing is easy, it's not. It's very hard and it's risky. Jesus himself knew that. Think about how many times in the Gospels people became very angry with him when he pushed them to learn something new about God or about their neighbor, or to hear something new from God or their neighbor. It is a risky thing. To be open might mean that we hear something that does not make us pleased. We might hear something that challenges us, that really pushes us, that pushes us so far that it means transformation for us. But if we close off. If we crawl inside our theological box and pull the lid on tight, we sacrifice the one thing in this world that's worth a hill of beans, and that is whole open relationship with God and neighbor. It's a huge price to pay. Friends, I don't think selective deafness is all it's cracked up to be. Do you? Ephetha. Jesus says, be opened. Will you pray with me? Loving God, we pray that we would truly be opened by your love. Open to the people in our lives who have so much to say if only we would hear. And open to you, living Lord, who breathes and moves and speaks every day. Give us the courage, Lord, to be truly open to you and our neighbor so we may be whole people. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.